Hi everybody, and welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm Corinne. And I'm Justin. And once again, those are the only voices you're going to be hearing on this episode. We are talking today about a game that Justin and I had the opportunity to play over uh, over the holiday break. The game is called Hidden Agenda. How new is it? Fairly new. Um, I, I don't remember exactly when it came out, but it was definitely this fall, um, like October, November time. Okay, so Hidden Agenda is by Supermassive Games, and it came out fairly recently, and uh, it's a narrative-based police procedural game where the whole sort of, I guess, hook is that a whole group of people can all play the game simultaneously by voting on narrative decisions via a companion app on their phones. Yeah, um... It's up to five players, uh, all of whom play on their phones. And the the only actions that you take all involve using your touchscreen. So you're either navigating to vote for a particular narrative choice, or you're trying to be the first to nail a particular uh, quick time event, or uh, there's also searching for clues. And so there are, are different points at which all of you are at once trying to find you know a set of clues within a limited time in a, in a space. I gotta say, from a technical aspect, the game was really solid. Uh, there was a little bit of rough edges in terms of, like, players dropping out or, like, being kicked out and uh, a couple quirks there. But in terms of the interaction of, of, like, using your phone as an interface device with the game that was being played on a PS4, um, it was pretty seamless. Yeah, I was, I honestly, I didn't know what to expect. Um and I was like, you know, hoping for the best and expecting the worst kind of thing. Uh, this is a new, this is part of a new initiative from Sony called Playlink. Uh, and they've released all at once. They dropped like a few games and this was sort of the marquee title of the, the Playlink launch, basically. Um, the app definitely has its hiccups, particularly as an app itself. Like yeah. things, when you have to interact with the app exclusively to do particular things when it like uh there are points when you are voting for other players who are sort of who exemplify a particular quality we'll talk about that more later because that was neat and i want to talk about it more yeah um and so you have to swipe through cards in the app and then swipe up to vote for someone and the navigation there was super super clunky However, outside of that particular thing, uh, like when you were using the phone as an input device for the game itself, it always felt pretty smooth. Yeah. It, it definitely took a little while to get used to like mapping the navigation of my finger to what was happening on the screen. And I definitely like even even once we were used to it, including our second playthrough, because we played through this twice back to back. Yeah. Even then, I was still like, you know, shooting wide when I was trying to navigate to a particular point, just because it's like. The sensitivity, I think, is a little, just a little weird. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, so we had an opportunity to play this game, actually, with a total of nine people, I think. And obviously the game accepts only uh, five input devices. Yeah. Um, so we had a bunch of people playing in pairs, which, honestly, I don't think really impacted the experience all that much as a game the experience was everybody sort of in a group 
voting together to to make these narrative choices and get and work through the mystery and work through the story and i think it scaled up pretty well obviously those you know people certain people in those pairs weren't they they weren't interacting with the game 100% of the time, but I don't think that was necessarily a detriment because they could still, you know, you could still talk through decisions and things like that. The game didn't, except for the quick time events, the game didn't f- force a time limit on you for most decisions. Yeah, it was really just the clue finding, the QTEs, and, uh, and then decisions that will be part of what we'll talk about later, which were, are when a single player... Or occasionally two players are making a choice, uh, and that's usually time limited as well. Yeah. So, I guess we'll talk about a couple other of the, like, uh, unique mechanical aspects of the game um, before we get into the narrative itself. Because once we get into the narrative, that's basically going to be spoiler territory. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned briefly before the, uh, the, the voting on qualities thing, and... I actually, I really liked that. Um, I thought it was really neat. So uh, every so often, the game would uh, give a vote to the group at large. And the question would be something like, which one of your friends is the bravest? And then everybody, you know, you would have a, a, a list of cards that you could shuffle through. And each one would have a name of a participant. And then you would, like Justin said, you would swipe up to select your option and then the person with the most votes or the two people who are tied for votes would then be selected as the only ones who were able to make uh, a pivotal decision and something i noticed in our two playthroughs was that narratively it felt like the game wanted you it was sort of priming you to make a certain choice there um it definitely wanted you so the anytime that a choice like that came up the one that was primed by the quality, so the the braver choice in this example I'm creating, was the was the thing that would be worse for the character. I I I thought, or at least worse for the narrative overall. It seemed to me, after we played through twice, we went and watched a bunch of other endings to see what we had missed and the other ways the game could turn out, and there was one point where the observant trait was selected. And we found that the best possible ending was only possible if you failed the observant check. If you did the thing that wasn't observant. I don't know if you picked up on this, but... I, I didn't. The feeling that I came out of it with was that not only was the game priming you to make those choices, but it's the choices the game wanted you to make to sort of navigate through the... Like, th- that they were the the recommended choices. It's kind of like the, how they wanted the narrative to flow in those situations. I, I don't know. I think that the game, I think that a lot of the times the ones, the choices we wanted to make were the worst options, but we didn't know that until we had hindsight. Yeah. Um. So that was something that was pretty interesting. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether I'm right. Obviously I could be wrong. Uh, but I, if that was their intention, it's an interesting one. And I'm, I'm not sure. I like the voting aspect. I like the, you know, certain people can make pivotal choices thing. Um, but I'm not sure how having a preferred way for the game to go either, you know, with a worse outcome or a better outcome. However, it was supposed to, however the chips were supposed to fall. I'm not sure how that all, like, felt at the end of things. I kind of, I mean, 
objectively, I kind of like it as a design as a as a design decision, particularly because guiding players that way is going to make them think like this, right? Your your average player is going to be like, oh, the like you know, it, I was picked because I'm the bravest. One of these choices is braver than the other. I should do that, and then they're going to see the result of that. And whether they come out of that feeling negative or positive, it's still more than any of the other choices that, that really get made. It's going to engender this idea of like, but what if I did the other one? Yeah. I think the interesting thing is that um, going back to the observant example from bef- from before, which obviously we're not getting into details and it might be a little confusing, but we'll we'll get there. Going back to the observant example, though, on the surface, it seems like the better choice, but failing it is the i think the only way you can get to the best possible outcome i think i don't know we obviously we haven't we've only played the game twice yeah and this was this going back over the endings was when we played it which at this point was a little over a week ago Mm -hmm. so yeah so there was voting uh voting for friends with certain traits who then had to make decisions based on those traits um there was the I forget what it was called, but when you like hit the, when you took control of the decision. Uh, takeovers. Takeovers. There it is. So everybody started out with um, a number of takeovers that they could do. And basically in any situation you could hit a takeover and then you would be the only one able to make that decision and you would lose your takeover, but you could gain takeovers back by being the one to find clues during clue finding events and by uh, succeeding, being the one to succeed in quick time events, because there was only one, there was only one person who could succeed in a quick time event. Right. Uh, and so we had a few times when takeovers were used for different reasons. Oh man, <laughs> that one, that was uh, one notable one. But it it's a it's a fun tactic that I really like. Um, and it also it helped us out because certain certain decisions required unanimous votes whereas uh typically there had to be a majority but sometimes it had to be unanimous and takeovers were an interesting way to break us out of like sort of a standstill because we we came to a standstill every so often ah yes and that is because i was wrong on the max number of players it is six not five so when you're playing with the max number of players it is possible to frequently end up in uh you're right it is six yeah it's possible to end up in three on three ties and then you either have to convince somebody or you know somebody can throw down a takeover and put their decision through or the entire group could be unanimous and then one person could do a takeover and pick the other choice well i mean that that implies the entire group is not in fact unanimous everybody it can be five against one well in this case it was it was choice. nine versus it was it was one against eight sure I think. And someone took the phone from his partner, hit a takeover, and picked the opposite choice that everyone else in the group was going for. It was certainly memorable. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, honestly, it feels like a necessary mechanic for a game like this. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I thought definitely it was... think that game would have felt worse if we didn't have that ability. Yeah, we I didn't pull it out good. a ton, but we needed it when we did. Yeah. Um, other cool things. Uh, the companion app that you were using had a journal where you would where that would update um, as you know you learned things and as scenes played out and as you got clues and it would basically list out all the facts that you had learned and you could reference it at any time. Uh, 
that was a little that was a little wonky at times uh, yeah there were, there were definitely times between scenes when the journal would update and if you checked it it would spoil the next scene yeah uh, which was unfortunate and particularly glaring in a a heavily narrative focused game like <laughs> yeah. you'd think they would be extra extra vigilant about any potential spoilers at any point in you know in a feature like that but yeah uh so something interesting we failed very badly the first time we played yeah um, we man yeah like we probably stumbled upon the worst possible ending like it's it's not even like bad ending versus good ending we straight up failed like we lost before before we call a spoiler break one I recommend this game. It oh, was yeah, a cool thing. It was a cool thing to try, and I especially recommend it if you can get a group of friends around and and make like an event out of it. That was good. Yeah, I think I think Supermassive has done a really interesting thing in creating like narrative focused uh, games, adventure games that are sort of designed to be experienced by a group. Uh, their previous title was Until Dawn which was a slasher, like, 80s-style slasher horror story. Did we do Until story? Dawn on the podcast? I didn't. You guys did, we, though. We did, yes. Pre-Corinne Pre Until Dawn was done on this podcast. Yes. Um, and so so you guys remember this, of course. <laughs> because and you are long-time you, listeners. Listening Every time. single one of you. Um, and I, I really like that game. I think they did some interesting things, and... Uh, Hidden Agenda kind of doubles down on their concept of games that are meant to be experienced as sort of like a social event mm -hmm. to the point where it's built into the game mechanically at this point. Yeah. Um, I love the idea. I think I like. I worry that the market for this kind of stuff is pretty small. Uh, they're incredibly fun. Uh, I just I I kind of wonder how many will will really be able to get. Um. Yeah, it's it's rough because like, obviously we played it twice, but there's not a ton of replayability. You know, not yeah, make I mean, it... outside of like trophy hunters are going to try to get every single ending and every narrative other thing. But those are the kinds of people who are also probably going to be sitting down playing the game alone and not right. playing in a in a group, which is honest is unsurprisingly where this game shines. I think. I mean, I I will say uh, the flip side of that is kind of that like we played it twice in a row. That's kind of a testament to the replayability of it. And it was also short. It yes, was a really it was short like game. A, like three hours, maybe? Yeah, definitely less than four. I think we probably spent a total of like seven hours playing it. Yeah. Um, Which sounds like a lot, but I mean, you know, standard video games these days are... Oh yeah, way longer. Huge. They're huge. Um, so I think... I think there's something something to be said for the small market of this game, also being people that would play it together regularly. Like, think about people who have a board game night, and they get together once every week or two, or three, and play board games, right? This is the kind of thing where, like, you could do this as a similar large-scale multiplayer activity, and everybody is in it and enjoying it, and, and they get a, you know, a certain portion of the story, and they're like, oh, but what if this other thing? And then for your next game night, you play it again, like... I can definitely see that as a, as a pretty feasible way for a group to play this game, but that use case is tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah, yeah. And while I think that their, you know, their scale, their sliding scales of bad to good endings are some of the better that I've seen 
in narrative decision-based games like this, yeah. um, there's still work that could be done there to really, like, to really feel good, I think. I don't know. I've never really liked decision-based narrative games, like, the way that the different endings fall out. It's never felt super, like, rewarding to me. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. And that gets, to me, that gets at the heart of one of the things that I don't necessarily like about the game. And one of the things I don't like about these games in general, and that's, it's it's really, really difficult. At this point, maybe structurally impossible to make a game like this where enough of your choices feel meaningful. Mm-hmm. These are the kinds of games that encourage you to play them again and see different endings or different paths and that kind of stuff. But the more of that you do, the more you realize not that much changes. Yeah. Um, this game... It suffers from that to an extent uh, throughout maybe the the a large portion of the, you know, beginning to falling action of the game, right? As mm-hmm. you're getting to the climax. And then the divergent paths of the endings was probably the most interesting thing, where there were several different settings and several different ways with different groups of people involved that you could end the game. Yeah. And that's a, a big uh, sort of flip side of Until Dawn which brought everybody to the same exact point and all that really mattered was how many people were alive still and how much information you had and and like you know your final decision yeah uh this it's it's a lot more interesting and a lot more satisfying to see these branching ending paths but we're still in a space where games like this can't make a lot of their choices meaningful i think i think supermassive did the best job with hidden agenda of of almost anything like this I've played. Yeah, 100%. This was it, probably the most satisfying, like, uh, end state spread that I've seen. But I mean, even even the other choices. Yeah, right? that's true. Uh, like, not, not all of them, but a lot of them. There was still, like, there was still some heft. And, like, especially, and it was, like, little things that didn't have an effect on the story that still felt better to you. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be an early game spoiler that i thought of as an example early early on the main character you're playing becky marnie uh who is mo captain voiced by katie cassidy um is retelling the story of a particular crime scene she was investigating and she finds this girl strapped to a bomb and she needs to try and get the bomb off her and the way you play out the events and the decisions you make leading up to that can and did our first time results in uh at the time officer marnie losing her hand and so as we cut out of the flashback she's like holding up her hand and now it's the pro now it's apparently a prosthetic whereas before it it appeared by all by all accounts to be a normal hand and so that's one thing where like it doesn't deeply affect the the flow and the arc of the story but it it's a choice that feels like it has consequence which is rare for like early mid-game choices in games like this I agree. So, uh, 21 minutes in. Let's call the spoiler break. Yes, and uh, have a quick discussion about the narrative. Uh, yes. Before we go into that spoiler break, this is your reminder from Corinne and not James that next episode we're going to be starting our Meddling Kids topic. We're going to be reading uh, Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero. We're going to be watching uh, Stranger Things Season 2, directed by the Duffer Brothers. And we're going to be playing Oxenfree. By somebody, a studio of games, perhaps. Yeah, it's on the tip of my tongue. 
well, just listen to one of our previous episodes and you'll pick it up. Uh, anyway, moving into spoilers now. We're going to talk about the narrative. And I think we're just going to jump to the ending. Uh, I, we're going to we jump. We should probably <laughs> set it up. <laughs> no, wait, no, wait. What's let's, happening? let's go. Let's, let's cold open. Oh, God. The first time we played oh, yeah, through Hidden is... Agenda, we, our, our game ended by the our protagonist getting burned alive <laughs> in a, a basement by... by a serial killer. Yep. And that was just it. The game, <laughs> like, the we're sitting there and we're like, oh my god, he lit us on fire. What's going to happen? And the game just ended. And it just ended. Just, just title screen and then denouement. And that was it. Yeah. And we and were so just like, the epilogue we, is like, <laughs> Detective Marnie died and the killer escaped and nobody knows what's up. And also closing other plot threads. And we were just like, what? And also several of her colleagues believed that she was a crooked cop and blah, blah, blah. Like, it was, it was really bad. Like, we did We could just not have... It was so bad. It was so bad. We pretty much could not have gotten a worse ending. Like, we, you know, it's hard to say, like, you you failed a, a choice-based narrative game. It's more like, oh, you got a bad ending. No, we failed. Yeah, we just, just out and out failed. We lost. Like, there's another ending where that ends in, like, a, like a, a like a, wow. A shootout. shootout. <laughs> yes, that is the word I'm looking for. That ends in a shootout. Still not and, as bad as getting as dark. And you just like <laughs> if you don't react to the QTEs quick enough, like the serial killer shoots you, and then he also gets shot by like a SWAT helicopter, and you're all just dead. And, and he like, also shoots a shoots the the the, like, the DA. Yes, or the ADA. no the ADA. Yeah. Yep, it's you and the ADA. He shoots you both, and you die, and then he gets shot and he dies, which is still better than you alone getting burned alive in a basement while he escapes. Yes. It's not good, but it's certainly better than that, like, shit-tastic ending. Yeah, which I have to say, I really appreciate that there is there is a, a choice path in this game that leads to such a dismal, dismal end. Yeah, like, props to Supermassive. And that was, like, I have never felt more strongly motivated to play something again in my entire life. Like, we all got to that ending, and first we were shocked. And we then we took a few seconds to recover and talk brief, about it. I think. Yeah, just very quickly. <laughs> yeah. And then we were like, okay, we need to see how we could do better. Yeah, it's like, we checked our watches. We were like, it's only 7.30. Let's get another drink and, and just go again. And uh, and we did. Yeah. And it was fun. And we had a much better ending. Yep. And then we spent a l- another little while looking at other endings on YouTube, as you do. Yeah. All right. So let's back up a little bit. Hidden Agenda is about this serial killer called the Trapper Killer, um, who kidnaps... I I would like to interject briefly, which every time... When people said the Trapper, I was great. Every single time someone said the Trapper Killer, I'm like, the Trapper Keeper. Yep. It's all I could hear in my head. And it was so frustrating. Do you remember that time we were coming back from a recording and I spent the entire ride looking up the history of Trapper Keepers? Yes, I do, in fact, I learned a lot of things about Trapper Keepers. I don't think I remember any of them, but I learned a lot that day. They weren't serial killers. No, they weren't. They were inanimate objects. Yes. Um, Okay. Getting back into it. Uh, So the serial killer, the Trapper Killer... He likes to kidnap people and put them in elaborate traps that will be set off by the responding officers, the police officers who respond to 911 calls and appear on the scene and stuff like that. Um, So he likes bombs. So he likes to blow up police officers and also his victims. Um, Two birds and one bomb. That's true. (laughs) <laughs> That's how that saying goes, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, so you play uh, young and upcoming Detective Marnie, uh, responding to a uh, a nine one one call of a break in, and this is the very first scene of the game, and you're there. Oh uh, well, your... no, I don't. I don't believe Marnie is there. I believe the very first scene is oh, just. Marnie? It's just like a a like a bunch of anonymous oh. people and a person, and then okay, and then so the first a, scene of her is like there's a slow mo there's a slow mo intro, and then the first playable scene. Okay. Yes. Sorry, is sorry. Uh, is young and upcoming detect uh, young and upcoming officer Marnie? I think because she wasn't a detective at that point. Uh, with her partner. I'm no, correct. this is this is after she gets moved to homicide, though. No, this is before. This is oh, five years fuck. before. Yes. Yes. Just I'm, trust I'm, me. I remember the story. I'm remembering the scene of her in her car as like the opening scene, not the whole prologue scene where she catches him. Spoilers. Okay. So. You play up-and-coming officer Becky Marnie, responding to a 911 call with her partner, um, Tom Nelson. And uh, basically, you find the trapper killer with a victim, and, you know, depending on how you handle the situation, long-running repercussions throughout the game. Um, yeah, arguably probably the most important decisions you make in terms of how your game flows yeah. are in this scene. Yep. Um, in our first game, uh, we... We got fucked up. We did. Um, we lost the victim. And we shot the trapper killer in the process of apprehending him. Yep. Not to death, but, you know, we injured him. Uh, but our partner survived. Because uh, there, yes. was, there was a choice we were, to... We were given a binary choice between yeah. our partner and the victim, and we made the selfish choice. Yeah. Um. Anyway, not to get too yes. bogged down in the, the actual details, as I realize we're starting to get a little bogged down here. Uh, basically, um, basically, you learn that over the course of time, there's a five-year time skip, a whole bunch of stuff happens, uh, and you learn that the trapper killer... Uh, claims that he's not actually the trapper killer. He's, he took the heat for a friend of his and expected his friend to start his killings again and get him released because how could he be doing killings? He's in jail. Um, and instead he spend, spends five years on death row and then this all comes out about a week before he's set to be executed. Isn't it like 48 hours? Maybe. 36 hours? Maybe. I want to say I want to say it's like two days before he's set to be executed. Um so this final, like, 48 hours, 36, 48 hours, is is the time span in which the game takes place. Whew. What else do you want to talk about? Let's wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> terrible. No. It, it has a lot of sort of police procedural, um, uh, what's the, cliches. You've yeah. got, you know, the new detective who's sort of untested and not not quite trusted and then there's this elite detective who was the lead on the trapper killer case and is bitter that she caught him and so he gets her like tangled up in an ia investigation so everybody is mistrustful of her and then this new stuff happens which which throws more bullshit in the mix um she gets linked in with the ada uh who is the person to whom the accused killer is uh, is talking to is is getting set up with in terms of trying to prove his innocence. Mm-hmm. The the flow of it is kind of that like you you basically are convinced that there's there's some merit to his claims, so you start investigating it. It points to this particular kid who was at the same orphanage as him. 
you start investigating it, you you find clues and leads and, and pursue them, and you, I mean, the big twist, I guess we can get to really, is that the forensic tech for this police precinct is actually the Trapper Killer. Yep. Uh, and so the clues that you find sort of lead up to this, and then it's this sort of heated race to find, get to the right place and find the right things to to make sure he's apprehended or killed. Yes. Now, I will point out, it's kind of remarkable that nobody suspected this forensic tech of being a serial killer in the past, because he is one of the creepiest human beings I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, he just, he hits every single stereotype of, like, a sociopath. Yeah. Like, he delivers everything without emotion, and on top of that, in, like, a deep baritone. He He's incredibly, like, robotic in the way he moves and acts and speaks. Honestly, he was so creepy and off-putting that we thought he was a red herring. Yeah, that's, and I mean, maybe that was their thing. Like, the, like you know, the, the two layers of it. Yeah. A double red herring, basically. It's like, we're going to put him there and we're going to make him so obvious that everybody's going to suspect him. So, of course, it can't be him, which means it needs to be somebody else. But actually, it is him and you never would have suspected it because we made him seem like a red herring. Yeah. It. Oh, man. Oh, man. Simon Hillary, you creepy motherfucker. Right? Uh, so our second ending was a lot better. Um. Yeah, Not so the, our first ending, I we guess... We got lit on fire and died. Right. He, We confront him in his home. We have an opportunity to shoot him, and we chose not no, to. No, we just straight up failed. We... Tr- we, we like, didn't shoot him fast enough? Yes. Well, because there, we there were two stri- choices we to make. We failed there. to shoot him. We, we made one choice that led to him deciding to pull a knife out of his pocket and throw it at us. And then, after that moment, like, he t- comes around to shoot, or to... To, like punch us and we failed that qte and that's what led to us getting lit on fire yeah because then he pours gasoline on us and lights us on fire and flees his house which by the way detective becky marnie like goes down in a stiff breeze like she has no ability to withstand any sort of like damage at all no Every, she has one hit point in D&D terms. Every every single time she comes up against any kind of threat, she is just down immediately. Just sucker I mean, admittedly, every time the punch comes almost out of nowhere or with an assumed amount of force behind it. But, like, also she's a trained police officer, detective. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, when we're on our game with the, with the quick time events and, like, blocking the stuff, she's pretty good. But as soon as one thing lands, like, that's, that's it. it. She's done. So she goes down, she gets lit on fire, that's it, that's the thing. When we encounter, our second ending put us in the same place, Yep. but we made a different initial choice, which gave us a different option, and led to him like fleeing through the house without hitting us, and we end up apprehending him. Nope, we shot him and killed him. Did we? Yep. Oh. Okay, we shot him and killed him. That was the ending we watched on YouTube. Where we apprehended him. Where we apprehended him. And then there were the shootout endings, which were fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so a lot of different places this game can go, ultimately. And a lot of uh, sort of, you know, a lot of importance in the first couple decisions that you make in the game. And 
to be fair, a lot of very key points that you hit along the way. Uh, we talked earlier about uh, about this game having like a larger percentage of meaningful choices than than in other choice based narrative games I've I've played. Yeah, and uh, we talked about it briefly, but the the prologue being so important was fascinating. Yeah, uh, there's a way in which you can play out the prologue where both your partner and the victim survive, um, and in in that version of the story, which is how we played our second playthrough the victim is still alive and is actually a key player in the plot. Yeah. Um, yeah, it opens up a lot of different avenues of just everything. And so that's something that I really appreciated because, again, it's so frequently in these games, it's the illusion of choice. You feel like you're creating your own story because it's very well produced to make it feel that way. And if you play it a second time, that all falls apart. That, like, this is arguably the first time I played a game like this where it didn't all fall apart. Yeah. And that's not to say that there weren't, uh, you know, moments of tension in terms of, like, what you expect based on your, the choices you made versus the, the narrative the game is sort of forcing you down. Um, the, the key thing that comes to mind from our two playthroughs was uh, the ongoing IA investigation cast a lot of doubt on Becky Marnie's, like, whereabouts another officer ends up dead the the one who was you know who had opened the ia investigation on her and was making her life difficult and you know they were constantly butting heads so when he died in our first playthrough you know she was a suspect you know her partner was like look i gotta ask where were you last night and, and in our first playthrough we didn't have a good excuse right and so it just sort of snowballed into all of this like suspicion being cast in the character that ended up with her dying alone burned to death in a basement because nobody was supporting her yeah and, and everybody was out to get her yep in the second playthrough we set things up so that she had an alibi and yet still the the sort of like middle part of the game progressed with all of this suspicion even from the person who was providing the alibi the person that she had been with that night was like i don't know if you killed him and we were all just like Bitch, we were with you. We were literally at your apartment. Like, we didn't leave to go murder somebody. I mean, I guess the assumption is that she did it, like, after. Because it's not like they were together all night. I guess. I guess but, when you're, I guess when you're, uh, when your forensic tech is the bad guy, he can fudge the time of death a little bit. Probably. Uh, if that was the what they were going for, they needed to make it a bit more explicit, though. Yes, and that's, like, one line of dialogue would have made that a lot better. So that's, that's one of the few things I can point to where you make especially with hindsight, a choice that feels like it's going to have a narrative impact, and it it doesn't, right? But those kinds of choices, at least based on our two playthroughs and based on what we've watched otherwise, seem to be few and far between. Yeah. A lot of the choices you make either put you on path A or path B, which will take you back to the same place ultimately, or they have you know a decent effect on the story, or they have a cosmetic effect. Everything, while it didn't while everything didn't feel totally meaningful, there weren't any choices that I was really disappointed in that I can recall besides that one. Like, there were definitely some that didn't feel like much, but nothing that felt overtly bad in the way that one did. Yeah. Do we have anything else we want to say? We've been going for at least twice as long as we originally set out to, so... When we talk about games, I think it's hard to, to keep it brief. That's true. Um, I, I think we covered everything. This... In my opinion, it's way more important that we cover the interesting mechanics and that kind of stuff uh, 
than the story itself, especially because these, you know, I hope you guys are going to go play it, regardless of these spoilers. So, I uh, I think we touched all our bases. Cool. Um. Yeah. So once again, we're going into the meddling kids topic next. Uh, we'll be starting off with the titular book meddling kids then we'll be rolling into stranger things season two and wrapping up with oxen free and then our topic episode so until next time thanks so much for listening thanks for listening to this episode of read watch play if you want to help us out the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show You can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RWP Podcast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash RWP Podcast. Check out our Tumblr at rwppodcast.tumblr.com. And look out for our game streams on Twitch at twitch.tv slash readwatchplay. I mean, you've got... You, you're, you're like 75% of the way to a dad sneeze. I think like if you actually fathered a child, you would get the <coughs> remaining 25%. So I think that's how that works. Yeah.